Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active word of God, his two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, May 10th, we're studying Jude, verses 17 to 25. The false teachers who attempt to sneak into the Christian church, they were predicted by the apostles. Jude, therefore, calls upon Christians to persevere in the truth of God's word as they build each other up, as they pray in the Holy Spirit, and as they show mercy in Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Luke Zimmerman. Pastor Zimmerman serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good to be back, Pastor Apple. Good to talk about Jude, a kind of a short book that sometimes you can run right over when you're flipping the pages. So it's nice to give it some due attention. That's right. So we, it's one chapter long, 25 verses. We covered the first 16 last Friday. We've got the 17 to 25 today. As we prepare for those verses, what do we need to know about this letter as a whole? What has Jude been doing so far leading up to the text we've got today? Sure. That's a great place to start. Um, as we would have heard our first session, we had the introduction to the concept of this letter, that Jude is wanting to instruct the people who are followers of Jesus um, about challenges that they're going to face. And one of the key challenges that they're going to face is the fact that they have a faith that was handed down to them. And when we're talking about a faith that has been handed down, we're not really talking about the thing that is believing, but rather that which is believed. So the content of the faith, or what we might say as like the creed, that thing which we believe. And Jude knows that there has been this content of faith handed down to Christ's people. That's what the apostles delivered. That's what they went out and proclaimed when they bore witness to all the things Jesus had said or done uh, to fulfill his role as the Messiah, as, as the great Redeemer. The problem is that when you have that handed down, you need to retain it. You need to keep it. Uh, as he says in verse 3, you need to contend uh, for this faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Uh, one of the great challenges as you are a person holding on to this content of faith, this doctrine that's believed, these creedal statements, is that there will be people who will challenge them, challenge their veracity, whether they are true or not, or perhaps come in and say, well, yes, you got that, and, and those things which you believe about Jesus may indeed be true, but there are some more things you need to believe, other things you need to believe. Or perhaps they might say, you know, you may have gotten this handed down from the apostles, but we have like some more, and we have like more revelation that we need you to know. And that's where the true Christianity is. So all those sorts of things are challenges to the, the, the community of believers who are holding on to this faith that's been handed down to them. 
And so after telling the people that he's writing to that you are, you are going to need to contend for this, he says there's people who have crept in, uh, ungodly people, people who want to turn this whole thing around of Jesus being you know, the, the great expression of God's grace and love and mercy being shown to us by being the Redeemer. And as an example, Jude introduces to his audience places in the past where the faith had been challenged, um, using Old Testament examples, Old Testament events, and showing how the Lord's wrath was visited upon those people who were false teachers or blasphemers. So he gives a whole bunch of like negative examples for his audience to um, consider and be reminded about. Uh, some of them that they would have been familiar with or should have been familiar with. And then after doing that, he gets into the part of the letter that we're going to uh, look at today where, okay, after giving these negative examples, uh, showing what should not happen, what do I want you to do? So these exhortations or instructions for the faithful and then a blessing which he will um, offer uh, for the people who are reading this letter. And so in, in a couple of ways, there's a transition from what we looked at previously into today's text. One is that move from the negative examples to the positive examples. Here is what to avoid. Here is how God visited his wrath on those who taught falsely, those who scoffed in the past. And now in today's text, here is how to contend for that faith, to go back to what he said in verse three. Here's actually how to do it. And I think there's also a, a move from past examples. You've got a bunch of Old Testament events and texts that he brings up in the first 16 verses. And today he's going to make a move to say, now remember what you've heard from the apostles here in the present. So, I, I mean, I think a, a twofold move here from negative to positive and also from past to present. Yes. And so how is the audience now, after they can, can remember those past examples and maybe learn from them, how do I now contend for the faith in the present day? like the remnant of believers that remember in the old Testament, it's not as if you had the faith handed down and there was no believer for, you know, a thousand years before Jesus showed up. So you, you did have people in the past contend for the faith, which was handed down for them. Jude needs his people to do the same in the present day. One more question before we dig into sure. the text for today. You mentioned that Jude is an easy one to skip over. It's short for one thing. It's toward the very back of the Bible as the way it's arranged. And you've got the book of Revelation looming large there at the end. And we sometimes we want to rush to that and read that. And there's Jude. and We'll just skip over him. Why, why is Jude, given what we've already said and what we're going to look at yet, why is Jude such an important letter for us to consider still today? Well, it's important because this, what he describes is what's happening now. Uh, he, he is very timely for what we are encountering. When, when he will talk about things happening in the last time, which we'll see uh, in one of the opening verses for today, 
um, he is talking about what is not just happening, you know, somewhere around, you know, AD 65, 70, something way back then. He's this last time is even now in 2021. And, we need to pay attention to these warnings which are given because we are really in that same position as this initial audience. Uh, we sometimes can forget that the work of the apostles was done uh, in, in the very nascent stages of the church, and they did hand down the faith, but then it would not be a very long time before you would have people being brought to faith in Christ by receiving this apostolic teaching without even encountering any of the apostles. And so we're totally dependent upon this content of faith this faith that it, what is believed that has been uh, handed down through the generations to us. And that really kind of puts us in the same situation as this uh, early audience. Uh, we're going to, we're, we, we have something entrusted to us. We have this, these words of eternal life, which are brought to us. And the challenge is going to be, you know, do you really trust that? Are you really putting your hope in that? Um, do you have what was handed down right? Hmm. And so, you know, this really is a very timely book, as many of the epistles uh, really are. Hmm. Even even the really short ones towards towards the tail end, like the letters of John or the letters of Peter or or Jude. Hmm. Yeah, and and what's great about these short ones toward the tail end is that you can read them all at once. I mean, I don't know. Have you ever tried this, Pastor Zimmerman? Have you ever read like the letter of Jude or First John just as your sermon on a Sunday morning? I, I have not yet, but I thought about it. I, I've not done it, but, you know, it, it really could be done. And, you know, every once in a while it might be better than what we would develop for a Sunday. Um, you know, they're, they're short enough that they could be. Or where you have a, a full Bible class uh, where you can just dedicate to that hearing the entire letter being read mm-hmm. and not just like dissecting it, um, you know, week by week. Right. There's a, there's a great benefit that we would at, at times, I mean, I think there's benefit to both that we would read a whole letter at once or a large check, a large chunk of scripture at once. And then also to, you know, go week by week or day by day, digging into one verse or one paragraph and, and really, you know, diving in. I think we, we always should be doing both. And and hopefully sharper iron is a part of that. You know, we, I suppose we could have broken Jude down into much shorter sections had we wanted. I I think this will be manageable. So again, an encouragement to everyone to, to take a look at the whole letter of Jude as a whole, even as we look at these particular verses today. So Jude, beginning at verse 17 today. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. 
Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That is Jude, the conclusion of this epistle, verses 17 to 25. Pastor Zimmerman, another thing that stands out as Jude makes this transition is that twice in these verses, in verse 17 and then again in verse 20, he names his hearers beloved, loved ones. And, and I remember that, that term from Peter as well. we just gotten done studying the epistles of Peter. Peter loved that term as well. Here's Jude using it. Why is that such an important term for Jude's hearers to know that they are the beloved ones? Those who are beloved are those who have received the love of God, which has been exhibited in the work of Christ Jesus, their Lord. Uh, remember, our Lord Jesus says, you know, it is in this way that God loved the world, that he gave his only son. And that is the content of faith that the people have received. That, that's it. As they have heard what the apostles have said about Jesus, taking that testimony that Jesus himself gave, you know, in that conversation with Nicodemus, as, as they bring that to the people, they're saying, you are the people who have received God's love, which fulfilled all those promises of the Old Testament, which um, Hebrew Christians would have been familiar with. Um, and then if you had Gentile Christians, it's like, well, you may not be familiar with that, but, you know, all those things which have been uh, uh, problems caused in your life, you know, those things that you cannot fix, like especially the big one, that people die um, there has been a remedy shown to this, uh, given to us by the fact that God's son came down into the world, offered himself as a sacrifice for all our guilt, all our sin, rose from the dead, um, and brings you into reconciliation with God, your creator, so that you are loved by him and not outside of that favorable attitude which he which he has shown um and so these beloved people that that title is a way of speaking about those those who have received this great um great benefit which god has shown to them through the work that his son has accomplished now jude calls upon those who are beloved in verse 17 to remember that is what they are to do they must remember and here it is they must remember the predictions of the apostles of our lord jesus christ in the esv verse 18 actually includes a quotation of what the apostles said there's plenty of things we can talk about here pastor zimmerman who what apostles are we talking about where did they predict what jude says they predicted here Okay, so the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, are, well, the, the, the ones that we name in some of our churches. They have, like, the shields, like the symbols of them, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, and so on. Uh, those are the apostles, the sent ones, the ones whom the Lord Jesus, you know, on the night of his resurrection said, you know, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. 
uh, the ones that he would say, you know, as the people are listening to you, they were actually hearing me. That is, if, if, as you are proclaiming what I am giving you to say. So those are the apostles. Uh, and they've gone into the world by this time. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about uh, the work that happened as the apostles, you know, left Jerusalem and were going around to different places. Um, the, the missionary uh, work, uh, Paul himself, who would be called an apostle. Uh, and so this, these, this way is how Jesus says, you know, his church begins. You know, you, you make more disciples by baptizing them and uh, teaching them to uh, keep all the things I've commanded you. And this has been done. And th that work's been done as these apostles went into different regions, different cities. They, uh, like what we read in the Acts of the Apostles, where, you know, there are elders appointed in different, uh, different cities where they went, um, the instructions like Paul would give to Titus and Timothy about pastors and teachers who are established in the different cities. You know, those apostles which had done their work um, are kind of planted those seeds of these churches all over the place. And now you're having these groups of believers who have been holding on to this teaching which has been delivered to their location by the apostles including some who have written letters already that have been sent out uh, among Christian communities. And these now groups of believers are on like generation two, generation three uh, from their first planting. And so what you also need to know is that these apostles, when they came, they said, you know, this is what we saw Jesus of Nazareth say and do. This is what God's Son has accomplished for you. This is the way of life he established for us, and now we turn over to you. But there will be people who are going to reject this. There are going to be people who actually come in after us and maybe bring a different message. In fact, there may be some among you, when we appoint, you know, um, you know, maybe Gaius here to be a pastor, and, you know, another person, you know, uh, uh, another, uh, you know, another uh, individual who is going to be the leader of this church, and, you know, they might get caught up in bringing in some other new message in. Those warnings were actually given in places that we can read in the New Testament ourselves. You have statements like Paul made in the book of Acts as he was leaving um, the elders of Ephesus, as he's departing from them. And, and he talks about you know, the fact that they need to pay careful attention to themselves and the flock uh, over which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. And he talks about wolves coming in, using that imagery, kind of like Jesus uses with the Good Shepherd, right? Wolves that want to come in and scatter and, 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 um, and you know, kill the sheep. And even from your own selves, there will be men who speak twisted things to draw the disciples away after them. Um, in fact, it wasn't so long ago we had our call nights at our seminaries, and that's usually given as one of the 
statements that's made when the when the uh, candidates get their calls about you know pay, you know paying attention to themselves and the flocks over which um, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. Mm. And later in like First Timothy, Second Timothy, uh, Paul gives similar warnings. John in his letters gives warnings about antichrists having come or the spirit of the antichrist people people who are going to deny that the Christ came in the flesh. These are all teachings which are described as, as challenges to this one faith that was handed down from the apostles. And those challenges are going to come because it's going to be preachers who speak those false teachings, and it's going to be tempting to follow them. But as as Jude says, this was all predicted. They the the apostles told you about it. Why why is that important that the apostles actually predicted this beforehand? It's important because that gave their people preparation of warning. But another way you could say it's important um, is because Jesus himself said that was going to happen. And when you have the apostles carrying that teaching of Jesus out into the world, it's not just telling the story of Jesus did some miracles and he was a really good guy and, you know, he died and amazingly he rose to life again. No, I mean, that, 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 that's a caricature of, of, of the Christian teaching. It's a powerful message. No, this was God who came down into the world and 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 offered himself, you know, challenged all these, you know, the powers of Satan, powers of death, um, perfect obedience, willingly sacrificed, rose from the dead triumphantly. But when we're passing down his teaching, we don't just do like the highlights of that. We also include the stuff he talks about, um, what his church is going to do, how his people are going to act, um, the way of life they're going to live, and including the statements he makes about challengers, about false prophets who are going to come to you in sheep's clothing, but are actually wolves. Uh, um, people who might come around and say, you know, the Christ is here or he's over there. There's going to be false prophets who arise uh, and perform false signs and wonders and, and try to lead people astray. Jesus himself tells us this. And so the apostles who have been faithfully handing down what Jesus taught included that type of warning because that's what their Lord had told them too. And, and if, I guess this would is another thing we could say, if it's predicted ahead of time, then one, you don't need to be surprised when it happens. You, in fact, should expect it to happen. And I think, too, you don't need to be afraid when it happens either, because the Lord told you it was going to happen. He he shows himself to be, you know, the Lord of, of history. He knows what's going to happen ahead of time. He's got it under control. That may be a, a trite, I don't mean it as a trite way, but he's got it under control. If he said it ahead of time and the apostles told you ahead of time, then don't be surprised and don't be afraid either. The Lord has it under his control. Absolutely. And then the great thing that this Lord who has it under control, who's prescient and knows all the things that are going to happen, also 
supplies the remedy for this, also supplies the way that his people can be prepared. It's not just a person giving a warning. And uh, okay, all right, now we're ready. Okay, we're aware. What are we to do? And then it's like, well, I don't know. I just, I just knew this bad stuff was going to come. No, 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 no. This Lord Jesus, who knows what challenges were going to come against his people, also has supplied them what is necessary to withstand these challenges which will face them. Mm. We've got about two minutes here before the break, Pastor Zimmerman. Let's just take up verse 19 briefly. Mm -hmm. What is it that Jude says these false teachers are going to do? He's got divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. What is he? This is kind of where he leaves the false teachers behind after this verse. How does he wrap their part of this up? So they are going to be people who are following their own passions, their, their own things, which did not come from Christ. It did not come from God. Uh, they are not following the rule of faith that is to govern the community of believers. They, they are not finding their hope and confidence in the teachings of Jesus that was handed down through the apostles, um, because they are not of the Spirit. They, they are devoid of the Spirit, I meaning they're, they're empty of the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit of truth that, that Jesus speaks about. Um, you know, as our churches go through like the Pentecost season or right before Pentecost, we, we hear um, from Jesus teaching in the upper room uh, and talking about this helper, this spirit of truth he's going to bring to his people, um, who's going to connect, you know, be connected with his people so that they can be fruitful vines, uh, fruitful branches on the vine, uh, so they can stay in the truth. That's what the Spirit does for the believers, but those who do not have it, who are following their own ungodly passions, do not have that working in them. Mm. And so they are really cutting themselves off from the church, and the hazard, though, is as they are cutting themselves off from the church and from this, this community of faith, um, they have the possibility of bringing others with them. And that's what Jude wants his audience to be alert to so they don't fall into that. Right. He doesn't want them to fall into that. And so having finished that, he's going to turn and teach them how to contend for the faith. And we're going to pick that up on the other side of the break here on Sharper Iron. We have Pastor Luke Zimmerman helping us with the end of the epistle of St. Jude. We're going to be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, May 10th. We're studying Jude, verses 17 to 25. We have Pastor Luke Zimmerman with us. He serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, prior to the break, we looked at these first three verses in our text today, verses 17 through 19, where Jude gives one final warning against these false teachers, reminding his hearers to remember 
telling them that they need to remember what the apostles had said, that they told their hearers what Jesus had said about these scoffers coming. Don't be afraid of them. You have what you need in the word of God. In verse 20, then, Jude returns now to his positive teaching, to this idea of contending for that faith delivered for all the saints that he brought up at the very beginning of this epistle. He uses that word beloved again there in verse 20. You, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Let's start with just that first picture that Jude gives us here. What does it mean to build yourselves up in the most holy faith? Okay, so we're going to touch on that beloved just one second again, um, if you don't mind. It's it's setting, again, uh, them in contrast to this description of the false teachers. Okay, so the false teachers are causing those divisions. The worldly people devoid of the spirit are not the beloved, uh, but you who I'm writing to are. Okay, so now that we got that, you know, emphasized again, you are the beloved of God. What do I want you to do? I want you to build yourselves up, he says. Now, building yourself up is like, okay, well, what, you know, as you ask, well, what does that mean to, to build oneself up? We can use the image of, of construction. Uh, our, our audience will have seen buildings constructed before, and, and you, you, it doesn't, you don't have like a house just drop out of the sky uh, <laughs> into a place. But you, you start with a foundation, right? Uh, and depending on where you are um, in, in our country or around the world, how you build that foundation uh, can take a lot of effort. I mean, around here, sometimes we have to dynamite uh, the bedrock a lot because it's, it's, it's pretty close to the ground uh, surface where we are. That's why uh, building roads out here is a little tough or sometimes buildings. Mm. But you, you do get that foundation laid. And then once you have that foundation laid, then you can start building up on it. But if you don't have a good foundation, what's going to happen is that, uh, that, that structure is going to, you know, it's going to teeter, it's going to fall. Um, it, it will need to be shored up, hopefully, but sometimes it could be built so badly it actually collapses. So this, this construction type of imagery is used in the scriptures. Uh, it is used based on a statement that comes all the way from the Old Testament, because uh, Jesus talks about himself being the cornerstone, right? Mm -hmm. The stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone, according to Psalter. And that teaching was conveyed by the apostles to their audience, to their hearers, as they were saying, you know, we are delivering to you a faith. We're delivering to you a teaching, th th this content of belief that is rooted on the fact that the promised Messiah has come. It is this Jesus of Nazareth. This is the one that we now are anchoring our whole lives on. He is that cornerstone. And so you have a couple places where Paul uses that imagery of building up, uh, like in 1 Corinthians 3 or in Ephesians chapter 2. And in both places, he talks about a foundation and a cornerstone. That, that cornerstone being Jesus Christ, 
And then the things which are built on it, that foundation that kind of comes from that, is what the apostles and the prophets brought. And now you, uh, using the... Uh, um, using the Paul's text from Ephesians 2, says you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." This is the building up idea. You have been placed on this foundation of Christ. And now, as you receive that teaching of Christ, which put you onto that foundation, and you maintain it, you contend for it, you are believing it. You are being led by it. You are being guided by it. You're being shaped by it. You're, you know, you've been given a new way to think and speak and act by this teaching, these words of truth uh, that come to us from Christ. You are being built up almost like watching that building with, okay, there's another layer of bricks and another layer of bricks and another layer of bricks, and you're being added into it. And as, if you want to take it to a personal level, because we usually use that as an image like from the church, like kind of like all the people built together. But we can also think of our individual lives, like we are placed on that foundation, and as we grow and mature in the faith, as we become um, veteran disciples, led and guided by the Spirit, we are being built up like year after year after year, like putting another layer of bricks onto that building until finally we become the being that Christ always wants us to be, which is only fully shown when we are glorified uh, in, in the age to come. But that's our, that's our fate. That's our destiny. How does the praying in the Holy Spirit, how does that come into play as well? Okay, so the question would be, how are you being led? Okay, so so what is what is bringing to you the knowledge of what is true? Uh, what is shaping your wills and your desires? Are are they the the ungodly passions which Jude mentioned, or is it this truth and salvation? which is brought to us by the Spirit as he takes what belongs to Christ and declares it to you and says, this is yours. As he takes that testimony about Christ delivered through the apostles and then the people that they appointed through the generations and says, this is now your confession. This is what you believe about Jesus. Who is working to do that? That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. And so those people are who have been built onto that foundation of Christ will continue to be active um, in prayer uh, to the Spirit, uh, through the Spirit might be a better way of putting it, um, so that they might continue to be guided and led and believe this testimony of Christ, which has been delivered to them. 
It's interesting how Jude gets Trinitarian here in verses 20 and 21. You've got this praying in or through the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. You've got a, a Trinitarian name right there. Now, he so take us into how he keeps going. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this idea of being kept, that's pretty important from the very beginning of the, this whole letter. Yes. So this this uh, language should remind our audience, those at least those who went through the small catechism, uh, which hopefully a lot of our audience have, about the work that the Holy Spirit does uh, as described in the third article of the Creed. Okay, so the question is like, okay, where where does this activity of the Spirit take place? It takes place in the Church. That's where the gifts of God are distributed. This is where that great favor or love of God is shown to us. Yes, the acts of Christ to redeem the world took place on Mount Calvary, you know, however many years ago. You know, uh, it's, you know sometimes the quick math doesn't work right away. <laughs> so, but a long time ago, I. But we don't get into like a time machine and go back to ancient Jerusalem to see how this love of God was shown to us. No, we receive the testimony, the preaching uh, of what Christ did. And we say that preaching is not just a bunch of human words being, you know, uh, conveyed, but actually the Spirit of God is working through it. The Holy Spirit's working through these things to do what? to bring us to faith, and to keep us in that faith, to deliver that love of God shown to us in the work of Christ, and to deliver and keep us in that love of God which was shown to us in Christ. Because we have certain things happening in the Church. The preaching of the Gospel of Christ delivers the good. The words of promise of Christ joined to the water of baptism delivers the goods. The words of promise of Christ joined to bread and wine delivers the goods. The mutual conversation uh, and consolation of the brethren, of the, of the fellow believers, delivers the goods. Why? Because there is this divine action being happening, going on, where the Spirit is actively working amongst the beloved people of God. But if you're not in it, if you're not present there, if you're not active in this thing, if you've gone outside of the church chasing those false teachers, you're cutting yourself off from that. But if you're in it, if you are gathering in Christ's name, he's there with you. If you are connected to the vine, you are the branches who will bear good fruit. These are these promises that Christ our Lord gives to us and that the apostles handed down. And it's not empty words. It's where God is active and powerful and working. Jude closes that statement by saying waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. At the end of Second Peter in chapter 3, at Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, and he talked about how the church is a waiting church. We're waiting for our Lord Jesus Christ, believing his promise to come. Waiting is, is important for Jude as well. What is, what is Jude saying here at the end of verse 21? So there is something that 
is going to be brought to the Lord's people that has not yet been delivered. Okay. The promise has been extended. The people he's writing to have been shown the love of God. They are the beloved people of God. They do have the spirit. They do have the content of faith, which has been brought to them. But there's an aspect of Christ's teaching, which he, which he says is about an act which is going to happen in the future. Something that is yet to be. It's all been arranged. He's all made the preparations so that, you know, you can have, you will have that dwelling place in his father's house. But there is the time when he's going to return and then deliver on all those promises. That is the great mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ is going to be brought to us so that we will be raised with Christ. So that we will be brought from, you know, from mortality into immortality, from corruption to incorruption, from, from you know, uh, glorified with him. But who is it for? It's for the people who endure. It's for the people who are faithful in this lifetime. It's for the people who complete the path of discipleship, who, who don't wander off the path into the false teaching, who don't abandon, who don't, uh, uh, kind of in the words of Jesus, who don't put their hand to the plow and then look back but for the people who endure, who carry on, who go through this lifetime where these are these challenges to what we believe, who have been active within the church where Christ is delivering his gifts as his spirit brings them uh, those gifts to them and complete the discipleship path that he has laid out for them. As we wait for mercy, the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jude tells us also to have mercy. He says, have mercy on those who doubt and then save others by snatching them out of the fire. What is Jude telling us in these last couple of verses before his closing doxology? So the big kind of question is, what do we do with the people who have been misled? What do we do with our fellow believers who are, you know, now had their ears perked up to the false teaching and they seem to be attracted by it? Who kind of say, you know what? Yeah, th- it's really interesting what we always say in church and what we teach about Christ. But, you know, I read this new book that tells us something else about Christ and it's not lining up with what I've heard. And you know what? I think it I think it's right. What do we do with them? And Jude gives instructions about these people. He says, don't immediately cut them off. Instead, have mercy on those who are doubting. The, the, the ones who have, you know, who are wavering in the faith, who, who, who are like, you know, yes, I, I've heard this, this stuff about Christ, but is it too good to be true? Or I've heard this stuff about Christ, but, you know, what these other people are saying seems, you know, to be more in line with what I want or what I think I want. Well, what should we do with them? Well, the instructions to us is to have mercy on them so that we might actually bring them back into the correct faith. That's going to be a lot easier if we treat them kindly (laughs) instead of saying, no, no, you've walked off the path. That's it. We're not going to deal anymore with you ever. Uh, then the fact that he uses that imagery of snatching them out of the fire 
is is uh, really really important there because he's talking about really the fate, the eternal fate that would that would await people who have abandoned the truth, who have abandoned uh, the, the the faith which was delivered. Um, it's bad news for them. So if they're kind of put themselves into that fire now, if we kind of think of if we kind of think of it, um, when we're talking about what we're hoping for, we're saying, yeah, we're already in Christ's kingdom now, but we're waiting for like the total manifestation and fulfillment of it, which will happen at the end day. Well, for these people who are now outside of Christ's kingdom, it's like they've put themselves into those places of fire that Jesus described. Um, the full manifestation of that hasn't happened yet, but a day will come when it does. And so right now we have the opportunity to snatch them out, kind of like if a, you know something drops into uh, one of our fireplaces or into while we're grilling, right? And you might have a, a piece of meat drop into the fire, and you grab the tongs, and you pull it out so it doesn't burn up. Uh, that's what we are being called to do with, with those uh, believers who have maybe wandered away and that now are, are following those false teachings. What about the last group to the, he says to others to show mercy with fear and then adds hating even the garment stained by the flesh. What, what, I mean, it sounds like it's the, the same idea of, of showing mercy to those who've been misled, but what, what about that particular group? So the way we might think of this is as like a progression so you've got the people who are kind of doubting, being kind of like level one wandering. <laughs> you got the people who have, you know, um, jumped into the false teaching and they're kind of like level two. And then you got the people who not just jumped into the false teaching. They're, they're, they're going into like the full life, um, the opposite of the life of discipleship. Going back in, really into the kind of um, acts which are contrary to God's, uh, God's law, God's will. Now, for them, we also want to show mercy with them. We, we want to bring them back. But what we can't do is condone the false way of life. We can't condone the false teaching. So we might have to say, you know, we want to bring you back, but we need to identify the fact that what you've gotten yourself into is not right. Um, and, and especially if it might manifest itself in a way of living, which is contrary to the Lord's teaching, that is not right, is not good, it's not sanitary, it's not beneficial to you. Um, we want to pull you out of this, but we cannot like, condone in any way or approve in any way of the falsehood um, or this opposite way of living, which um, stands contrary to what Christ has taught us. Mm. I mean, so that last group then, would that be basically, well, would that be the false teachers that Jude has been talking about that even for them, he's, he's inviting these Christians to, you know, make sure you show the mercy, call them back. Is, is that part or is that, are they, I mean, I don't, I don't know that we would say they're far gone, but are they, would they be a part of that group, the false teachers, even to call back all the while hating that garment stained with the flesh? Yeah, I think you can. Um, you, you can talk about the, a couple places where um, other apostles uh, mentioned this. Like, like in Galatians, you have Paul who says, you know, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him 
in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted. Um, or James, where he talks about if, if someone wanders from the truth and, and you bring them back, you know, know that, you know, if you bring back that sinner, you're saving his soul from death. Uh, there has to be the admission that even like, you know, that this falsehood, which is being peddled, ends up in no place good and, and no place good eternally. Um, and there is the possibility of someone getting so caught up into it that they might not be brought back. Hmm. I mean, we have to admit that, that that can indeed happen to a person. Um, but we always want to hold out to them the rescue that, that Christ can bring, hmm. that gospel which the Christ can bring. But it's only going to be accessible by coming back to that truth of, of that faith which has been handed down. Hmm. It's in no other place. Yeah, I mean, and that, that that's very well said. And to see the the threefold grouping that Jude gives, which we've noted previously, how he likes these triads. He likes groups of three. It, I mean, it's just it's very helpful as we think about those who have been misled by false teaching, those who've gone a little bit farther, and those are all you know full on board with it. How to deal with them all the while calling them back to the truth to give them the that one faith that's been delivered to the saints to call them back into that now we've got about five minutes here pastor zimmerman mm-hmm. and we've got the the doxology that jude ends with verses 24 and 25 very beautiful doxology i think probably of the book of jude this is maybe one of the best known parts of the book of jude Tell us the, what's what's he doing in this doxology? What is he highlighting? How does he use it to wrap up his letter? So the doxology circles back to the beginning of the letter. Um, he talks about the people at the beginning of the letter, those who are called, who are beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. That's the way, that's, that's the, the title or the... Um, the name, the descriptor that, that he gives to these people uh, to whom he is writing. So um, when he talked about them being beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, when he gives this doxology at the end, he talks about what? He talks about the one who is able to keep you from stumbling. The one who is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Who is it? It is the only God, our Savior, because he's the one who showed his love to us. He is the one, through his work, who is keeping us for Jesus Christ for the last day. And so in this doxology that he uses, that, that Jude mentions, he, yes, he, he speaks about glory and majesty and dominion and authority being given to this God. But what's interesting is the way he speaks about this God is the one who can keep you. And so the emphasis of this doxology is on the praise which is being offered to God but kind of the reason for which this praise is being offered is the fact that he works to preserve his people in faith and to keep them ready to stand in his presence, which is what awaits at the end. It's the outcome 
that God wants for his people on earth now. It's therefore the outcome that the author wants for God's people who on our who are on earth now. An outcome that is not really the result of what the believers are doing, but an outcome that is accomplished for the believer by God himself. Emphasizing again the fact that the faithful people are dependent upon having God as their deliverer, their keeper, their preserver, not having confidence in themselves, but having confidence in this one who is working for them, and that he will successfully complete what he wants for his people. Yeah, and, and that is his glory, is to keep his people to save his people, to do what he has promised for his people, that precisely is his glory. And that is what Jude emphasizes for us here at the end of this marvelous little letter. Pastor Luke Zimmerman is the pastor at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, helping us today with Jude, verses 17 to 25. Pastor Zimmerman, thanks for being our guest today. Very welcome as always. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. We would love to hear from you, and we've got a new way for you to do it. KFUO has a new app. It's available both in the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store. Download it on your mobile device or other tablet and go there, look for the open mic feature down at the bottom of the app. You click on it. You can send us a 60-second message. Ask your questions. Send your comments. We love to hear from you. Again, download the KFUO app. Use the open mic feature to stay in touch with us. Tomorrow, we begin a new series on the book of Jeremiah. I look forward to talking to you then. <laughs>